Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. We continue today with Parak Yutes, chapter 19. Up until now, or at least in the previous Parak, Shaul was trying to kill David, but he was doing so in an indirect and a somewhat restrained way. However, in this Parak, Shaul takes things to the next level. He tells Yonatan, his son, as well as his servants, that he wants David to be killed but he doesn't realize that he kind of makes a, a miscalculation here because Yonatan is a devoted, close friend of David. He loves David. He's an ally of David's. And so Yonatan instructs David to go and hide, which he does. And Yonatan approaches his father, Shaul, to try and convince him not to go through with this plan, not to kill David. We know Shaul is prone to being convinced. He's not someone with a rock-solid resolve. He can be swayed. And indeed, Yonatan succeeds in swaying him not to kill David, David is a good and loyal servant. It's immoral to kill him. And Shaul seems to be appeased for the moment. He reinstates David to his post as a general. And he also has him once again playing the harp within the palace for Shaul. This continues until uh, Shaul finds that David is just uh, once again having such tremendous success that Shaul cannot help but feel threatened and, and feel uh, a sense of fear and anger towards David. And we have a repeat of a scene that we had in the previous parak, where Shaul is trying to prophesy. He's getting increasingly frustrated. He has this sense of dread and fear, this evil spirit that's rest upon him. David is there trying to calm him, calm his nerves, and, and help him facilitate an, an experience of, uh, of the divine uh, of prophecy by playing the harp. And Shaul once again throws his spear, trying to kill David. This time it causes David to run away. He runs home to his wife, Michal, who is, as we know, Shaul's daughter. Shaul sends soldiers after David, who surround the house and are going to kill him. But Michal lowers David from the window, uh, with, uh, holding on to, uh, to, to a cord, to a rope. She lowers David from the window, and David is able to get away. Meanwhile, Michal creates a diversion and she, she pretends that David is still in bed and she forms the shape of his body using various items, which I'll get back to in a moment. Well, I'll say now, actually, that she uses, among other things, terufim, trufim, which are these strange instruments used for divination. We think, perhaps, different explanations, but they're, they're used for some form of divination, why they're in uh, their house the house of David and, and Michal is a question, but just to continue with the basic uh, arc of the narrative. So the soldiers come in. Michal says, David's in bed. He's not well. Leave him alone. They take the whole, they end up taking the whole bed to, to, to Shaul and they reveal, the big reveal, and they, they realize that it's not David at all and Shaul is made to look foolish. If we pause here, we can also pull apart a few really rich, kind of a doubly stacked biblical illusion here. The first and the most obvious is uh, is the illusion, the, the connection being drawn between Michal and Rachav. Remember, in Sefer Yehoshua, we had the spies come to Yericho in the very beginning of Sefer Yehoshua. The spies arrive in Yericho. They are quickly spotted. They take refuge in Rachav's home, who betrays her own people and enables them to escape. Well, first, she covers them up. And then she enables them to escape by lowering them 
from the window. So we have Michal also covering up the decoy, lowering David from the window, and of course this is all an act of betrayal of her own people, her own nuclear family, her father, Shaul. So there's a, a very clear parallel that's drawn between those two characters, and also in the fact that she's betraying her father using Trufim is a pretty clear allusion to uh, to uh, Rachel, who steals Lavan's Trufim in, in Bracious. In both cases, we have to wonder, why do these uh, people, uh, why, why does David and Michal have Trufim? Why does um, Rachel have Trufim? What are we meant to make of, of, of the, the presence of this object? I'm not going to delve into that question right now, but I just wanted to flag these very rich allusions. The, the, the connection between Michal and Rachel goes even deeper because you'll recall that David was supposed to marry Merav, was supposed to marry a different daughter. And, and David was kind of tricked. He was duped into marrying a different daughter. Well, he wasn't duped into marrying a different daughter. He was duped out of marrying Merav. And ultimately, he marries Michal. And he also, he pays a double dowry, which is uh, evocative of the, uh, of the, of the du- double uh, period of years that Yaakov works on behalf of Rachel after having been duped and married Leah. Right? So there's a lot of really interesting connections that these stories have with one another how they are meant to inform uh, our reading of this text i'm i'm not i don't have perfect clarity i'll leave that for you to to consider but certainly we have this double biblical illusion going on here which just serves at at the very minimum to elevate the way that we read this story and and give us a, a certain richness that's worth flagging and recognizing and thinking a little bit about in any event david gets away and who does he run to he runs to shmuel and now is when the story gets really odd. Shaul finds out that David is together with Shmuel, and he sends messengers, he sends his henchmen to go and get David. And the men who arrive find Shmuel, together with his followers, engage in a prophetic experience, and these messengers are themselves kind of gripped by the throes of a prophetic uh, experience of uh, this ecstatic state, and they are somehow incapacitated by that. And then the next group comes, Shaul sends yet yet more henchmen, more messengers. They too are, are, are gripped by this prophetic experience. And yet a third group also, same thing happens until finally Shaul himself comes, and he himself is gripped by this same experience. It's, it's, a, it's a violent ecstatic experience. We're told that Shaul is stripped bare uh, throughout the entire night, uh, experiencing this uh, form of, of prophecy. And, uh, and then finally, the, the parak ends on a kind of ironic note by saying, This is why they say, is Shaul truly among the prophets? You'll recall that we had, we had heard this precise uh, verse uh, earlier on when Shaul was ascending to the kingship. Shmuel sends him on this journey where he would interact with three different groups of people. The final one was a group of prophets who, uh, together uh, with those prophets, Shaul experienced this prophetic experience. And, and the onlookers say, Hagam Shaul Banavim, is Shaul really among the prophets? There, it's this very positive, it has a very positive valence. It's saying, Shaul, this, this 
this kid from next door, is he really going to be a, a, a prophet? It's, it's, it's incredible. It's the, it's the hometown hero. It's, it's, it reflects very positively on Shaul. And here, I think it's meant to, to have just the opposite valence. It's meant to say uh, that Shaul, who is so evil, he can really be a prophet. Is that really the case? And, and even if you take it slightly differently, what we're certainly meant to see is the connection between this and that moment, that being a moment, meaning the one in the beginning of his ascent to the kingship, that was a moment filled with promise and uh, filled with excitement for Shaul and possibility. And now we're obviously meant to see here, well, this is not a moment like that. This is a moment filled with a lot of sadness where Shaul has stooped to a low level, and we're meant to kind of understand that he has fallen uh, a great deal. So it's this really uh, powerful conclusion to our parak. But I have a, a, a very basic question, and that is, there are a lot of different ways that Hashem could have deterred Shaul and his henchmen from getting David. It seems kind of odd that he would have them ensnared by a prophetic experience. If anything, prophetic experience is something that's a reward. It's something that people work very hard to achieve. And you'll recall that in this and last parak, it's something that Shaul has tried and failed to achieve time and again. So it seems like giving him a prophecy is a reward. How does this, why is this the, the, the most efficient and powerful and relevant tool in Hashem's infinite tool belt to deter Shaul and his men in, in capturing David, or to deter them from capturing David. And I think that we have to understand it as follows. Shaul has twice tried to experience uh, the, the, this feeling of prophecy, and he's failed, and that has caused him to lash out at David. Why is that? Because he recognizes on some level that he has lost the kingship. And as a result of having lost the kingship, he has lost the spirit of Hashem, and he sees that the spirit of Hashem is now resting on David in his place. And Shaul, even though he has been told explicitly by Shmuel that he's going to be replaced by another man, he wants to fight and resist that outcome. That's why he tries to kill David, because he wants to somehow impact. If he kills David, maybe he'll secure his kingship. If he secures his kingship, he can regain the spirit of God. We know that, in fact, he loses the spirit of God precisely because David becomes the anointed king. So he's not entirely wrong here in terms of his, you know, that it really is David that in a certain respect is undermining his ability to have these prophetic experiences. But uh, the message of this prophetic, of, of this almost prophetic punishment is that Hashem controls prophecy. That Shaul, even if you kill David, it's not going to change your fate. Hashem has already decided. And no matter what you do, Shaul, you're not going to be able to change that. Shaul has already learned that no matter how hard he tries, uh, bring in the best heart player in the world, he cannot experience the, the, the prophetic experience. He is not able to um, to have whatever this ecstatic experience is. And now he's learning that even at a moment when he does not want to have a prophetic experience, when he would, he's not, not only not trying, but it, it's, it's very much going against his interest to be pro- prophesying here because it means that he's not able to complete what he's trying to do. Still, now he's gri- he is gripped, Dafka now he's gripped by this prophetic experience. So it's teaching him that prophecy is out of his hands, that having the divine spirit uh, rest upon him is out of his hands, and killing David is not going to change that for him.
because ultimately this is something that belongs to Hashem, and it's not something that Shaul can change. That is the message of this prophetic experience, and I think that's particularly why it's this very violent experience. It's, a, it's an experience in which Shaul loses all of his capacity, all of his uh, power, and uh, all, all of his own agency. It's meant to show that Shaul is powerless. Unfortunately, as we will see, this message will have little effect on Shaul's resolve to try and change his own fate, a fate that has long been out of his hands. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz, and happy learning.